Policies of Exclusion, Poverty, and Health, Stories from the Front, compiled with introduction and reports by Crystal Ocean. Copyright 2005, Wise Group. Episode 9. Stories. Halona. Method. Interview. My parents are First Nations. My dad is half Italian. I have two brothers. When my parents met in Vancouver, they had each come from a small reservation, but they decided they wanted their children raised in the city. When I was eight, my parents separated. We never saw them fight. We didn't know there were problems. Nobody explained to us what was going on. We had come home from a Bible camp. The house was for sale, and Dad had moved out. My childhood was great until then. I was Daddy's little girl, and my family was quite well off. For Christmases, I remembered this tiny little tree and just a mountain of presents. In pictures of my teen years, I might have had two or three presents on my lap. When I was thirteen, my dad moved back to the reservation. That's when things really went wrong for me. My mom was always wasted. Her boyfriends were hitting on me. My older brother was a pervert. My kid brother, I didn't know what was happening to him. When I was about fourteen, I witnessed something between them. Years later, the family found out the secret that my older brother had been sexually abusing my kid brother. Supposedly during her pregnancy with me, my mom behaved, but I was supposed to be the last kid. Seven months after I was born, she got pregnant again. She really didn't want the baby, so she drank through the whole thing. My kid brother has FAS. He was neglected. He was unwanted. They're still living together. He wants to be out on his own, but they're dependent on each other, and she doesn't want to let him go. He's in the northern part of the island, so I don't really see him. My older brother is living on the mainland. I have nothing to do with him, either. He tried a few things on me. Then he targeted my kid brother. Because I have a little girl, I don't trust either of them around her. One of my early childhood dreams was to be a veterinarian and help animals. When I was eight, just before the family broke up, I wanted to be a casino dealer. When I was eight, I just wanted out of my family. I did everything to stay out of the house. I got involved in music as a way to travel, to socialize with other kids, and to get out of being at home. I didn't really have any goals anymore. I only wanted to get through school. Graduating was important, because no one else in the family had graduated. I liked learning, but then when I was fifteen I got involved with a married man. I started skipping class, ditching my friends. I did pursue charges later, but Crown Council said that I had waited too long. I'm still working through it. He was a father figure, a good friend. He started saying, 
When I was fifteen, I wish I'd had an adult to educate me sexually. I was afraid if I said no, he wouldn't be my friend any more. Halfway through grad year, I got to move in with my dad. He was everything that my mom wasn't. He went to my parent-teacher interviews. He came to my ball practices. He came to my concerts. He showed interest in everything I did. He said, you gotta do your work. You gotta do your work. There's a part of me that wishes that had happened sooner. Maybe I would have had better grades when I graduated. My mom kept saying, you're too smart. I don't need to see your teachers. But she didn't see me going downhill. I barely passed. After I graduated, I worked and traveled for a year, then went to college. I married a man who was twenty-six years older than me. The marriage lasted seven months. When I look back, almost all my relationships have been with men seventeen to twenty-seven years older. Starting when I was about twenty-two, I was with the casino industry for eight years. My father was a gambler. The first time I looked into a casino, on a very early trip down south with my family, I wanted to be a dealer. The flashing lights, the clink, clink, clink. Later, when I was in college and working in a bakery, I saw an ad in the, pa in the paper for a blackjack dealer training course. I took the course, finished in the top three, ended up getting a job for three months later and stayed for a total of four and a half years. The dealers made it look easy. You worked independently. You got to entertain your customers. You would be dealing with large amounts of money. There was a certain style and grace that went with it. You got to wear a white tuxedo shirt and a bow tie. I found it very flashy. I got to be part of the game, but I was guaranteed a paycheck. I was guaranteed tips. I wouldn't lose my own money. I could see myself working my way up to, to management. I left Vancouver in January 97 to work on the cruise ships. There were so many times I'd come into port and look at this huge ship and think, this is my home. It just blew my mind. Everything was luxurious. The food, the facilities, somebody to clean your room. It was so easy to live spoiled. I did that for ten months and then messed up pretty bad. That's when the drinking got really bad. When I came home, I was on medical leave and had ballooned to 185 pounds. At that point, there were a lot of poker clubs in Vancouver where you get paid cash every day for your shift. My daughter's father and I met at one of the poker clubs. Five weeks after our first date, I got pregnant. I did clean up for the pregnancy. No obvious birth defects. She's developing quite normally, very flexible, fearless, and seems to be quite intelligent. Six weeks after she was born, we got back into using drugs because I had stopped nursing. About a year later, her dad was no longer around. When she was fifteen months old, I quit the last casino job. My cousin told me about a treatment center. I phoned and explained my situation. 
Within nine days I was in treatment and started to understand where all my anger had come from. I was getting my head out of the fog. Unfortunately, I also experienced childhood flashbacks, which were painful to remember. At some point, I stayed with a friend from the treatment center. Her place was a party shack. I started to realize I hate being hungover. I don't like feeling anxious when the dope is almost gone. She wanted to carry on partying. I was getting away from it. A fellow who was in recovery and who had lived with us for ten years as my stepfather offered me accommodation at his place for six weeks. I had an appointment one morning to go to social assistance because I wanted to get my own place and get off the reservation. I had gotten up early. I put my daughter on the couch to watch TV and went to have a shower. This old stepfather barged into my bedroom, leaned up against me, and asked me to make love to him. I just about puked and freaked out. I told the lady at social assistance. She said, Don't even go back there. We'll get you in a safe house. By that point, I was down to about 105 pounds. I'd been to treatment. I thought I was turning it around. But I didn't do what I needed to do. I didn't go to meetings. I didn't get a sponsor. I figured I could do it on my own. In early 2002, I met up with the next guy and moved to Courtney. I was still on social assistance and had five weeks clean. I was slowly getting there. That's where things started to change for me. The three of us went to a family treatment center. We were determined to stay clean, and it really helped. But part way through the program, he relapsed. After his fourth relapse, I said, I'm sorry, that's it. You're on your own. I can't do this anymore. My social assistance worker, after my third and final treatment center, said, Now what are you going to do? Because I was First Nations and the school funding was available to me, she gave me the push I needed to go back to school. I am currently halfway through obtaining my diploma. One of the requirements was that I put in 150 volunteer hours. I've volunteered in several places and always received something in return, like food or lunch or something to take home, which helped my finances. The fact that I had a goal, for the first time in I don't know how long, motivated me. I got excited. I did the volunteer incentive program with social assistance. That gave me an extra $100 per month, and, because I had a goal, it freed me up from looking for work. At every place I volunteered, I brought positive energy to it. The people in Courtney, where I first began volunteering, only saw me clean and sober. They heard about the stories, but they could see me making a difference. I was getting unstuck. I was moving forward. I learned a lot when I declared bankruptcy, like how to budget. Living on social assistance wasn't easy. Now, when I look at something in the store, I ask myself whether I need it or whether I just want it. I get help to go to school. For food, I got active in the fruit tree program. 
Occasionally, we go for a free lunch at the food bank, and sometimes I've got food from there. At Christmas time, we get a hamper from the Salvation Army. I keep the flyers and watch for bargains. Also, we get food from the Good Food Box program. The other day, we went out with the elders and picked blackberries. It was an adventure and a learning time for my daughter. I got into the low-income native housing, and it is good. I have to set boundaries with the other children living there, though. Many are hungry. I don't mind sharing some of the treats, but I have to watch. At the community center, I fill out their subsidy form stating what my daughter and I are interested in. I sign up for as much as I want, and they approve what they can. Emotionally, I have help in place, and I am not afraid to use it. I just finished an eight-week life skills program. I have worked through certain issues, like accepting a hug, and I teach what I learn to my daughter. I believe I am a lot more stable. I recognize my feelings. They will pass if you let them. I used to get stuck in negative feelings, but not now. The future? I'm quite happy to be single because my last relationship was so draining. I really need to take care of myself. I'm very serious about my studies. I had no idea the ability was there. Now I do. It's given me more determination to work that much harder. I'm also aware of some issues that are still in the way, and with my sexuality in transition, I have some nervousness. I'm scared. I'm excited. I also see my patterns. I get involved with somebody who is codependent, so I can take care of them. I don't want that any more. I'm determined to be a drug and alcohol counselor working with teens. I see the addiction. In the alcohol, in the drugs, in the gambling, also in the internet, in sex, in working out, exercising, cleaning, caffeine—it's everywhere. I've been fortunate that I've worked with some young ladies that are struggling. They are new to the programs and don't realize how much they're helping me. When they remind me of just how painful it is, that keeps me clean and sober today. I don't want to go back out. I have another year of schooling with this particular program, and then I'll transfer to UVic. I'll get a bachelor's degree. It will probably be in child and youth care, but I also want to consider social work because there's more opportunities. The doors will continue to open. I don't want to forget my elders. They have a lot of wisdom to offer, so I need to reconnect that way. Whether you agree with their stories or not, that oral tradition is great. With the kids, once there's an elder present, there's a certain calmness. I watch elders with really tiny, tiny children that don't really speak well, but they understand each other, and I see the connection between the very young and the very old, and the happiness that comes from that. There's a lot of good energy there, lots of hugs going around. The kids need that, so do I. I've asked my dad and his wife to come and visit. Since I moved to the island four years ago, they've never seen how I'm living now. What they remember is when I was at my worst. 
On my last video assignment, I showed them around. Look, I have artwork up. I've upgraded my furniture and everything has a place. They've promised to come and see me, but it hasn't happened. I fax him a letter once in a while and say, I realize that I've never told you how proud I am of you. It just makes his day. Of course, what I'm wanting is to hear that back from him. I'd like to reconnect with my child's father and also with his Korean parents. Last night I did this gratitude list. As old as my car is, I'm grateful that I have a vehicle to get me around. I'm grateful that I'm in a place where I feel safe, that my place isn't a disaster, that I can be responsible today, that I can be accountable, that I can hold my head up high. The worker in Courtney who gave me that little push, she's on my gratitude list. I've been to Courtney a couple of times. I've been meaning to go by her office or possibly send her a thank you card to let her know how I'm doing. I'm really happy with the direction that I'm headed now. Everything I am striving for right now is good role modeling for my daughter, my community, and my family. My message to others is that it is possible. Don't give up. Fight back.